Welcome back to Religious. This is uh, episode two. Episode two. My name is Brother Jeff, and with me is Brother Brent. Say hi, Brother hey. Brent. Hey, how are you guys? Um, there's just one of me. Oh, yeah, all of our listeners. I was going to say, I mean, I, I think this conversation will go beyond just you and me, hopefully. Yes, yes, that is the hope that it will spread far and wide across the land um, from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria into the ends of the earth. So uh, <laughs> we we kind of did an introduction last time and uh, this week we're going to cover we're going to cover some of the basics of some basic terminology and history to just kind of give a um, a brief lay of the land for people that may not be real familiar with religious life or monasticism. So much of this is stuff that I'm learning for the first time. And Brent, you are in the midst of some doctoral research about this, so you're really the uh, the expert. And so I'm going to rely on you shaking your head, which people cannot see, but it's true. Um, let us let us begin. Would you? I didn't ask you to prepare for this, but would you offer a prayer for us as we jump into this episode? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Holy God, we are grateful for technology that brings us together, that we are able to um, communicate with one another, to talk with one another, to, to talk about this common life that we're seeking after. And Lord, we're grateful that this is a conversation that doesn't just have to stay between us, but it's a conversation that others are invited into. Lord, we thank you for this, this sort of life that you have uh, called called your people to throughout the throughout the centuries we are thankful that we are doing our best to enter into a a long tradition and that that tradition is seemingly so far in embracing us um, lord we ask that you would be with us throughout this episode as we have this conversation we pray that you would be with our listeners that that you would touch them and bless them, that you would keep them, and that you would make your face to shine upon them. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Amen. All right, so what is a monk? We know that um, monastics, wait, where's that word come from, Brother Brent? Yeah, so, so the word monk or monastic comes from the Greek word monos, which um, if, if you know any etymology at all, anything like that, it, it's pretty easy to figure out that that word means one. Um, we see that in, in a monograph is a, a singular uh, speaking role. Um, no, it's not a singular writing. Um, in theater, you do a monologue, which is one person speaking. And so, a monk is just the word for monos, just the word for one. Um, and I don't know if you want to get into it right now, if this is what you're leading me to answer, but Greg Peters um, gives a gives his definition of what they meant by one, um, who some may or may not agree. I personally agree with this, that that definition of one 
was not because they went off and lived by themselves as some people think you know we we look at saint anthony of the desert he went off sold all of his position possessions gave everything to the poor lived in the desert alone well monastic doesn't mean alone it means one and so that idea of being of one mind being of one direction of being one focus um to have one desire which of course is to to live a holy and obedient life to the call of god yeah i i was um this this is kind of from my own personal history one of my favorite books is a, a Kierkegaard book that he wrote um, as a catechism. He actually wrote it as a, a catechism for those getting ready to be baptized. And the title is Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. And that's essentially the thesis that to be Christian um, is to have this sort of singular, singular desire, singular will. Um, and from everything I'm, I'm sort of reading and saying, that's, that's the idea that's present here in monasticism that, um, that it is about a singularity of purpose, of focus, of desire, of life, um, and to keep all things focused on Christ at all times. Yeah, and I just thought of this too, not to, not to keep things one-sided, but even the word none um, means the exact same thing, just it's Latin. Hmm. So none, the, the female equivalent of a monk, also means one singular focus, Hearts one one desire um, mm. to God, mm. which if our listeners that are listening are Nazarenes or Wesleyan, which I would assume they would be, this should sound pretty familiar. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it. it, it you mean that that even for John Wesley um, and for the Holiness Movement, um, Holiness Wesleyanism often has had at its center that sort of singular focus on on god as the the purpose the end the focus of the christian life is that what you're, you're yeah get there yeah yeah completely that they, they they both have the same end goal in mind complete and utter sanctification and being conformed completely and utterly to the image of christ for the sake of others yeah and so uh those early monks so we kind of um what kind of monk was saint anthony if we saint anthony is he's is he like the patron saint of monks um just like kind of an intense role to fill. Um, yeah. But yeah. we know all these stories about him. He wasn't necessarily the first one to move out to the desert, um, but he's kind of, he kind of becomes the greatest one to do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's known as the father of monasticism. Um, so, which then you've got like other fathers, like Benedict is the father of Western monasticism and St. Basil is the father of Eastern monasticism. But yeah, Anthony kind of, is the overarching father of monasticism. Yeah. And what would have been a Coptic, which I love, um, was not actually, a, if we were to put him in today's terms, he wouldn't have been Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, or, um, or Catholic. He would have, my understanding, he would have, been, would have been Coptic, which is kind of fun. They wear cooler hats than most of the rest of us. That, that's the one thing all great religions have in common. <laughs> the hats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um all right so so he moved out into the desert um and was alone and never talked to anybody again correct (laughs) not exactly (laughs) close no so he so saint anthony um yeah like you said he's he's considered to be like the greatest the one that everybody 
aspire to kind of look to um and like you said there, there were some before him we know of one paul the hermit um that he went out lived this life as as a hermit living this you know trying to, to follow a, a set pattern of life as best he could um and we see anthony kind of following that same route he was in church he heard the gospel story of um jesus to the rich young ruler if you want to be perfect sell all your stuff and follow me and so anthony did that he got rid of all the stuff he went out to the desert he recognized that if he was to follow christ and pick up his cross that he had to go out to the wilderness to do it um and so he he lived his life as a hermit but as often the case with anybody doing something great um people followed him others started to see that that he was living a holy life and holiness inspires holiness um holiness attracts and so other people came they saw the life that he lived they saw his devotion to prayer um and so it people responded in different ways some women became anchronesses so they would be locked basically in a room within their house or within a church setting um which did an anchorness would look later or would look a little different later on in history because there were actual church buildings um rather than you know early on when when things were slightly different but um and he would minister to them uh, that he would come to them but there were also others who kind of popped up in little communities around him that they lived a communally hermit life as oxymoronic as that is um they would live in their caves but they would come together for teaching and to to hear the word spoken and to receive the eucharist and to um to uplift one another and so it was this weird combination at least from my understanding of being both a, a hermit somebody that really is alone with just god but also creating community out of that hermitage mm. Mm. yeah wow that's a that's a tough that's a tough line to walk so so two types of your way you're describing it so far i've seen two types of monasticism right um the one is the Aramitic, which just comes from that word hermit, right? You think St. Anthony, you think St. Paul. Um, is Paul the hermit a saint? Anyway, Paul the hermit. Um, so uh, Aramitic, isolated um, for the most part, that kind of thing. Focus on on prayer, penance, um, and, and this sort of like fighting the demons of culture and other things. Um, and praying on behalf of others, right? There's this sort of um, yeah. this sort of commitment to, hey, I'm going to go do battle that people who have to go to work every day can't do. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to kind of do this spiritual battle. Saint Anthony always he's <laughs> the icons of him are the best because he's also he's always like punching a demon um, mm -hmm. and <laughs> in like physical combat with demons. It's crazy. Yeah, there there's one icon that I absolutely love. It's like saint anthony is like literally like pulled up in the air like almost in like a cruciform way with demons just pulling at him from every direction ripping his habit and he just has this serene look of prayer on his face so yeah you yeah that's great <laughs> going before god on behalf of the world is 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 what hermits try to do um cool. uh, i guess what, what what they do 
instead of what they try to do, they, they do go before God um, yeah. on our behalf. That's great. So then that's sort of eremitic life. Um, and then you're talking about, it, it just seems like inevitably out of these sort of like people devoted to this sort of holiness, you then get these little communities of people, whether they're together, um, you know, more on purpose or if they just kind of come together, um, you know, at little points throughout the week. Um, but who kind of gives us a picture of that, that sort of life? Yeah. So and what, what's the fancy word for it? What's yeah. the fancy word for community, community monks? Yeah. So the, <laughs> the, the, the type of monk that I think we would tend to think of is uh cenobitic, which just means communal. Um, but going back to the Aramitic real quick, I do want to say that, that they were never truly alone either. Although they would spend maybe six days alone, they would still come together for mass or for worship or there was always that, you know, no, no Christian is an island. And so they always would come, come back to the, to the body. Um, but yeah, with Cenobitic monks, there's, there's, there's a large history there. That's probably the history that we have most of um, that we see people that, you know, shortly after St. Anthony, there was St. Marcarius who, although he wasn't intentional about creating like kind of cenobitic life, it kind of became around him. Um, you know, he, he was living out in the desert and then somebody else would come live near him and then another and, just kind of slowly over time, this group gathered together um, to kind of live that life. And then St. Pacomius, who, he was a saint that back in 346, um, I wanna say, yeah, 346, um, he, he took it a little further of saying, okay, instead of just creating a community, let's actually live together um, and created what we know to be the uh, first monastery um, you know, he, he, he called people to say, okay, let's, if, if, if we're doing this journey to, to holiness, to oneness in God, to, to having our, our focus singular beyond God, we, we need the help of, in his case, we need the help of our, our brothers. Um, we, we, we need one another to do this journey. And so actually creating a, a lived in community where they, ate together all the time, uh, worshiped together, prayed together, did, did common work together, um, cre created life together. And we might talk more about this later, but, you know, that idea of a monastery really would become the basis of our modern day cities. Um, our modern day towns and cities are based out of monastic life. As are our universities, but again, that's a whole nother. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> monasticism has impacted the world oh, yeah. way more than it recognizes yep. um, in in every nook and cranny. But yeah, yeah. So, so Saint Pacomius um, was really, really the one that that you could say, kind of created monastic life as in a as in a monastery setting. Got it. Okay, so you've got Pacomius, you've got Macarius, um, and they're they're kind of doing it there. Basil kind of gets things going in Asia Minor. 
modern day Turkey, um, Cappadocian father, Augustine, um, Augustine kind of heads some of this up and leads some of it in, in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And puts together, um, puts together a rule for the first time. Like actually like, Hey, this is how, this is how you guys should live. <laughs> Almost not to, not to correct the host as is never good on a podcast. Well, the host here is I'm, yeah, <laughs> but it doesn't mean uh, the one who knows the most. <laughs> to my knowledge, which, might be wrong. So if anybody listening knows more than me, please, please correct me. Um, to my knowledge, it was St. Basil, um, who is the brother of our patron saint, St. Macrina the Younger. Um, as far as I know, he was the first one to put together a rule um, for, for the monks living in and around his community, which to this day, um, all Orthodox monks, so all monks within the Orthodox Church, are Basilean monks. They all follow the rule of St. Ba- uh, Basil. They all still live the, like the monkhood that, that he prescribed, um, which is saying something because that was back in 370, yeah. 375, something like that. Yeah. And to this day, you still have the Orthodox church that said it was good enough back then where we're going to continue to to create saints that way. Nice. Nice. Yeah, uh, like you were saying, St. Augustine or St. Augustine, however you want to say it, um, about 20 years later would, would produce the first rule um, that would be kind of common within Western Christianity. What gets a little confusing there, though, and again, I'm, I'm nerding out at this point, so I yeah. apologize. No, it's good. It's good. Um, Trust me, if people aren't already nerding out on this right? stuff, they're not listening. In the first place. <laughs> right. If, if I haven't lost you yet, uh, here's a little bit more nerdity. The, the rule of St. Augustine that we have might not actually be the rule of St. Augustine. Um, they're, not really uh... sure. they're not really sure what that first rule was. There's several different versions. Um, all we know is that he did write a rule um, right. saying, you know, I've come from a life of sin and this is how I want to live a life of holiness. This is how others can, can join me in that journey. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Well, maybe there are dissertations in that. uh, Yeah, there probably is. I'm sure, (laughs) I'm sure people have written about it. Yeah. And so then John, um, this guy, John Cashin, Mm -hmm. contemporary with Augustine, right? Augustine. Augustine. Yeah. I feel like a lot of scholars say Augustine, oh. but, but because, because I want to keep with the people, yeah, uh, I, I tend to say Augustine, but <laughs> either okay. way. <laughs> Sounds good. So, so John Cashin contemporary with him and he does this interesting thing of like breaking it out into um, mm-hmm. kind of giving us this schema, right? These four, uh, these four types of, of monks, which are, which are what? Do you know them? I'm looking at the book that I've been going to say. Yeah, I. It, it's been a while. Okay, so well, I I got it here. On, on what it is that he says. Yeah, so. yeah. So it's the it's the Cenobites, yes. right, Who we um who we know are there's the fo- they're the folks living in community. Then you got your anchorites, um, yep. and and then the ones he's not a big fan of, um, the Cerebites. <laughs> Yeah, there that's the one I was looking for. Yes. Yeah, and the so-called anchorites. 
right? So, um, so anchorites would be the ones that are they're more in that Aramidic tradition, um, Cenobites community, um, and then then the 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 Cerebites and the and the so-called anchorites basically end up trying to um, to sort of imitate <laughs> the other two without actually giving themselves fully to the rigor and the difficulty and the sort of spiritual reality of what it is to be. And they kind of end up mooching off the community in different ways. Um, and Benedict has some really like awesome and hilarious things to say about them later in his role. Right. Uh, yeah. They're not, they're not pulling punches, these old guys. Um, well, no, that was the thing. I mean, they, they expected their people to live out what they said they were going to live out. Mm-hmm. Um, it it really was a, you know, you, you you don't just get to call yourself this if you're not gonna live it. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so this is my this this is what he says about the the Cerebites. Um, Acts five one to eleven describes the Cerebites who follow the pattern of Ananias and Sapphira. The Cerebites withdrew themselves from the communities of the Cenobia and as individuals cared for their own needs. Uh, Furthermore, they do not long for the discipline of the Cenobia. They do not place themselves under the judgment of their monastic elders. They are unformed in monastic living. They do not conquer their sinful willfulness, and they do not follow any rule of sound discretion. Rather, these so-called monks want to look like monks, so they go to some extent to do so, but ultimately, thinks Cashin, they fail because they become preoccupied with financial security and domestic affairs. And mm-hmm. so that's, that's from Greg Peters, yeah. uh, the monkhood of all believers. But it's, it's a, it's a sobering, <laughs> it's a sobering line, um, especially if anybody's kind of considering this, this way of life, because you don't get into it half-heartedly or halfway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's why the the process to become a monk is, or, or a friar or a nun or a sister or, you know, I'm, I'm just using the word monk as an overar- overarching word. Um, but, you know, that's why the process takes so long. I mean, some communities takes eight to ten years to become a fully professed lifelong member um, with every year saying, are you sure you affirm this? Are you sure that this is what you want to do? Are you sure you don't want out? Are you sure? Okay, we'll do this for a year. We'll do this for another year. Okay, we'll do this for three years. Okay, we'll do this for five years. Are you sure? Final. And so, yeah, it's it is a a big commitment. Um, and so, told you. yeah. So, what was the character of the commitment that these guys were taking up to this point? We're like in the fourth century right now. We're in like the three hundreds, um, maybe the beginning of the of the four hundreds. Um, yeah, that that's a good question. I don't. In terms of like the vows and the evangelical councils and stuff, do we have clarity on that or does that not really show up till Benedict? Yeah, I mean, I think overall there, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if they were named yet, but I I still think you, I mean, you still saw the idea of poverty, um, obedience, especially to one's elder um, or the, the abbot, the abbess who, whoever it was, um, conversion of life, um, stability. Um, so there, there definitely were the, it, again, I'm, I, I'm not as familiar with the role of St. Basil as I should be. 
Um, so I, I don't know if he names it flat outright. Um, but yeah, I, all of those things are, are definitely there, even if not named. Yeah. Um, well, and even in cash and the way he talked about it, obedience is a huge, mm-hmm. um, it's a huge part of this that part of the entire purpose of this is that we need somebody to submit to. Um, and in order to learn how to submit to Christ, we have to learn how to submit to one another. Um, which of course inverts the way our culture does it. But, um, yeah, that's a, that's a huge piece here. And so we at least see the vow there. Um, you know, they're clearly St. Anthony's obviously giving things away, um, doesn't really have anything himself. Um, so we see these vows sort of showing up, uh, throughout. Well, that's good. So then St. Benedict becomes, at least in the West, St. Benedict in, in the 500s becomes, this kind of major figure um, who draws and uh, sort of monasticism really sort of centers around him. He, I mean, in reference to your previous comment, he becomes the, was like the patron saint of Europe or something. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Like the continent of Europe. (laughs) Yeah. Which (laughs) I, I think most people, when they think of monasticism, they probably think of Benedictine monasticism because it is by far the largest. Um, it's the most well-known. He was really one, one, one of the early ones, um, which is funny because, you know, I, I have friends when they talk to me about, oh, like you're interested in like this like monk stuff. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, it seems really difficult. And, or friends that, that, that have read the rule of St. Benedict and they're like, can people really live this out? And I'm always like that the rule of St. Benedict was actually the, the easy rule. Um, like he says in the rule and I'm just going to paraphrase this, but he says, I write this rule not to burden you, but to, to help you. Um, there was a rule before his known as the rule of the master, which was incredibly strict. Um, I mean, it was cut and dry. This is how you live your life to the point of if you are sick, you know, you are not to receive any food until we can prove that you really are sick. Um, if you are to miss prayer, there has to be this, this, and this, and it has to be validated and verified and just an extremely strict to almost to a, I don't know, to, to an extreme level, um, which is saying something to say like an extreme monastic level. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Benedict saw that and said, no, like holiness should be attainable. Mm. We should be able to live out a holy life and it shouldn't be this, like this burden, but rather this joy that we have. Um, but in order to, to be free in our holiness and to be free in this joy, we, we do take on some, some boundaries that, that we will stay within and, and we will, we will choose to live this life to create in us what we hope to be. Um, And so, yeah, Benedict, because his rule was a simple rule, quote unquote, people were attracted to it. It was a life that people could live. You know, people have been living this life since what, 515, 516, something like that was when he wrote the rule. And, um, you know, it, it was, it was common. And then by the 12th century, it became, the standard like to this day no rule compares to the rule of saint benedict like it is the go-to when you're learning how to be a monastic 
Yeah. And I mean, even if you're just trying to be a Christian, I would encourage mm-hmm. you go find it. Um, yeah. Just read it. I mean, there's, there's such wisdom um, and it does feel intense to us today. I mean, I think in part it, it reminds us of how lax we've gotten with things. Just like when we go back and read John Wesley, he's like, yeah. he asked these guys, what questions, like <laughs> what was expected of these Methodists? Weren't they like working in the mine for 12 hours and then they're supposed to show up to worship three times a week. I mean, there's all kinds of things that to us are, mm-hmm seem to go far but it's actually across history this is the standard for people who take their faith seriously yeah who take sanctification and holiness seriously yeah it was if you are going to be holy you have to act it yeah you have to live it out there is there is no holiness that is not embodied right and so yeah and so saint benedict the benedictines are they called monks mm-hmm. okay and then yeah. there is a there is a female order right that comes along with the benedictines yes yeah so you have um so within the benedictine community they they are monks and nuns um because they do live a cloistered life asterisk for the most part there is an anglican benedictine community that i know and that i Mm. have several friends in that are currently working um one of the guys um i remember his real name i don't remember his his monk name which one, which one is his real name? So his real Brent? name is... His birth name. Sure, yeah, <laughs> his birth name. His real name actually probably should be his monastic name. Yeah. Um, but his, his name is Mark Gladman. He's okay. a member of this community. Um, he's working on his PhD, actually looking at the idea of stabilitas and community within the Benedictine tradition. And does that mean cloistered? Mm. Um, yeah. And stability. So stabilitas. You you mentioned. We've mentioned obedience. We've mentioned poverty. We could have mentioned celibacy. Um, conversio. What's the Latin? Uh, yeah, uh, conversio morum. Conversio morum. So conversion of life or conversion of heart. Conversatio uh, morum. Conversatio morum. Okay. And then and then Benedict really introduces this idea of stabilitas that we that if you are a monastic you don't get up and leave. Yeah. Um, you don't, and, uh, you know, you don't bail on your city when things get tough. Um, you don't, you don't keep moving to the nicer neighborhood, um, as, as things gentrify, um, or de-gentrify or whatever those processes yeah. are, you stick it out. Um, and man, what a witness in our, in our time. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a pretty, uh, it's pretty remarkable, Val. I'm sure we'll talk about it um, more in the future. That's the one that in just personally really kind of speaks to me. Yeah, I mean, if 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 our listeners ever get the chance to to witness a um, like a monastic habiting, I, I I don't know what what the proper term I should use is, but basically when a when a monk or nun takes their final vows, their their final professing it's a funeral, right? Um, They they literally put a funeral pall over them to remind them that this place that you are committing to, if you walk right outside, you will see the place that you will be buried. Man. Are Um, they the guys, are they the ones that like the first thing you do once you take your vows is build your own casket? I know there's, there's some monastic communities that do that. And then you're just like, it's like your table in your room or whatever. Um, It's just like in your cell, you know, 
<laughs> heard of guys keep like their books in there and stuff, but it's like, that's where I'm going to be one day. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's this total commitment to this is the people I'm going to be with. This is the place I'm going to be. If, if we do move, which does happen at times, depending on situations, it's not a me decision. It is a communal decision that we as a community will do. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's this beautiful commitment to, you know, if this idea that, that we're, we're going to spend all eternity together in heaven with, with all these people that, that we might not like, <laughs> that we might not get along with. So we have to practice here, mm. you know, um, if you and I were in a monastery and you, you anger me and you frustrate me, I can't just be like, all right, Jeff, I'm done with you. I'm not talking to you. Yeah. Because we might spend the next 80 years together, and that's a long time to not talk to each other. Right, yeah, friendship so canceled. Issue, so but that's nothing becomes, compared to eternity. Exactly. Right? <laughs> so it, it then becomes, how can I learn to see the Christ in you and love you as Christ, even if we disagree on things, even if, if we have our issues? How can we learn to be family and, and the family of Christ with one another? Mm-hmm. And I I even that idea is so vastly different than our culture right now, where if I get upset at a church, I can leave. Yeah. Yeah. I can church shop, which I hate that language. There is no monastery shopping. Once you've made a commitment, you're there. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's, that's great. Um, so so Benedict and his famously has this idea of aura et labora prayer and work, right? So these, uh, these groups, not only are they, um, whereas the eremitic or hermetical would really be much more focused on prayer. Um, the Benedictine vision incorporates, um, you know, incorporates work and labor, uh, into all of that and a life that really, fully and completely blends the two. Uh, there's no sort of like getting out of it just because, just because you don't want to work, man. You got, <laughs> yeah, is... no, there's, there's, there's taking care of the community. You're um, both like with, within the monastic setting, um, you know, cooking for your brothers and sisters, um, cooking, or I already said cooking, uh, cleaning, gardening, you know, Bible beer making, making. making, candle making. And beer. We're yeah, talking, beer making. Well, uh, one of these days, we'll have uh, to talk about that. A lot of monks <laughs> make beer. A lot of monasteries have stood open because of beer. I'm a good Nazarene. I don't drink the stuff. <laughs> but I mean, I, you know, I mean, hey, maybe, maybe Nazarenes can find something to to make for people. Right. Um, but the cool thing about that too, fresh, clean mountain spring water, brought to you <laughs> by. <laughs> <laughs> but the one of the things with the idea of aura et labora, of course, like we, if you know monasticism and you know Benedictinism, you, you know about their prayer life. But the cool thing about their work life as well is for the most part, and, and things may have changed now, but at least throughout most of history, any of the goods that they made, you know, they're, they're, they're meant to be sold. They're, they're meant to be a blessing to the community. They were always to be sold below market price. And any of the profit that they made, other than what went to, you know, build up the community and take care of the community and stuff like that, was to go back out to the poor. Wow. So it was here, not only will, will we sell you our eggs and our milk and our butter at a discounted rate below what you could buy in town, 
we will also give back to you that which we profit. Um, so that they're, they're, they literally were, were putting their prayers to action. Um, That's great. What a witness to, um, to even just sort of the purpose of work, that work is not about the extension of profit, um, but work itself yeah. is actually a sanctifying act. Yeah, work is for the benefit of our neighbors, um, yeah. which again, because, because we're Wesleyans, because we're Nazarenes, you know, and, and part of what we're trying to do is show that, that this is valid within who we are. Ora et labora is no different than John Wesley's works of piety and works of mercy. Different language, same thing. Right. Um, how can we work to build up our own life of holiness with God? And how can we work at building up our life of holiness with neighbors? Right. Yeah. Up and yeah. down, side to side. They're the exact same thing. That's awesome. All right. One last thing. Um, so I think we've been going too long, but um, St. Francis comes along 12th century, right? Is that it? 1100s. Um, and the only reason I mention this is there is a difference between a monk and a, a friar, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so he calls his people, which you can remember because Francis friars, FR, FR, that helps me. Um, he, they're, they're the, the, Friars Minoris, I don't know, Latin man, little brothers, um, the little brothers. And, and the difference there is there's this emphasis on, on this real emphasis on poverty um, and being mendicants. Yeah. Um, and so a little bit of a different flavor with, with friars than you're going to find, um, you're going to find elsewhere. Yeah. Is that, you want to add anything to that or correct that? No, but I, I, I think that's a good place to, to kind of like bring it together and then maybe talk more about that next episode. Sure. Um, kind of moving away from Cenobitic monasticism and kind of moving to the friars because yeah, there's, there's uh, St. Francis of Assisi, there's, there's Dominic. Um, there's, there, there's definitely a lot there. Um, but yeah, it's the idea of, of being on the move while, while, um, you know, while Benedict would have stabilitas, you are where you are. The friars would have itinerancy. You go where you are needed. Okay. Um, and so it's it's kind of a it's kind of a different way um, of living out a religious life. Um, yeah. Kind of opposite sides of the same coin, but right because one says you can't leave even if you really really want to, and the other one says you can't stay even if you really, really want to, like in both cases, that decision's not up to you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's I mean, about serving something larger. Yeah. They're both sides of, of, of serving God and serving neighbor. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but to, nice. to kind of close things out on this portion and, and just to show that we're not all serious and all up in my head, like I've been, this is a dumb thing I just thought of when we were talking about monks and friars, that there's literally a type of monkey that's named after the friars. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the, is that the capuchin? Yep. Capuchin monkeys are named after the capuchin friars, which (laughs) if you're a coffee drinker, cappuccinos are also named after because it matches the hat or the color of their habit. Mm. So like I said, 
monasticism has impacted every part of our world. Every on the monkeys and coffee. <laughs> I mean, we've covered it all, right? It's right. Like, yeah. What more is there to know? <laughs> Well, that's good. Well, speaking of what more there might be to know, so I wanted to wrap up here with um, just maybe some silly stuff, um, rather than rather than just asking what each other are up to every every time we do this, because I'm not that interesting, and it would get pretty old pretty quick if you if it was my life that was um, that had the light shined on it. So there are some interesting people from history. Um, my son's birthday is coming up actually on the feast day of this saint. So I wanted to tell you about Saint Expeditus, um, as in expedite. Do it quickly though. Yeah, I will. I will absolutely do it quickly. Um, <laughs> I don't think we expedited this episode, so maybe I need to ask him to pray for us. Right. Um, but he was a Roman centurion in Armenia, uh, supposed to have been martyred right around 303, which is um, you know, in this time period that we're talking about, the fourth century, and and become became the uh, patron saint of speedy cases, which makes sense. Um, so the again, these early saints, oftentimes we know very little about them. They just didn't do history the way that the way that we do history. But he again, this uh, patron saint of emergencies and legal cases that are dragging on. If you need something handled fast, then then you go do that. But one of my favorite stories about him is in the 1700s. Uh, he was he had kind of a veneration. People prayed, asked him to pray for them in Italy. But in the 1700s, there was a a, uh, a package that was mailed to some nuns in France and had the word uh, expedite. expedite. <laughs> <laughs> written on it and it had some relics in it um, or statues and they assumed the people getting the statues assumed that these were relics of this saint and so that's really what caused his cult to kind of uh, his veneration to spread beyond wow. Italy um, and you know whether or not it actually had anything to do with uh, with old Saint Expedite is is up for debate we don't even patron know if those were relics right the patron saint of what Patron saint of FedEx, right? Of FedEx, of UPS, of our <laughs> United States Postal Service, all of those. No, things. the USPS is way too slow for him to be there saying. Yes. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, that's, it, it's interesting how often in history uh, things get attributed to certain saints. Like, we all love Julian of Norwich. Nobody knows what her name actually was. Oh, Really? Yeah, but that that's a completely different conversation. Maybe next episode you right. can enlighten us on the true history of Julian <laughs> of Norwich. That's great. So, all right. Well, thank you, friends. Uh, bless you. Thanks for sticking around with us. Um, and again, as we get this going, share us with your with your friends, with your enemies, and with everybody in between, uh, so that there can just be a, a deeper sense. And and our our real hope with this is that there would be a kind of deepening and a deepening understanding of Christian history within the church of the Nazarene. Um, you know, we're like 100 and, 113, 112 years old now. And um, it, is, it is long overdue uh, that we have uh, a, a widespread, widespread love and sense of where we are within, within the whole historical church. And so we're, we're hopeful that we might be some very, 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 very small part of that. And uh, maybe you sharing us with somebody would be a part of that too. So, 
All right. Thank you. Go in peace to serve. Hey, everyone. This is Jeff. I just wanted to jump in at the end and um, say that we are so thankful to be a part of the Millennial Pastor Podcasting Network. Um, this We were not even thinking about doing this um, this podcast. And then Josiah reached out to us, uh, Ryan reached out to us, and they, they host two other podcasts on this network. So Josiah hosts the Millennial Pastor along with with Byron. Uh, Ryan is a part of the, the podcast, The Table, along with Trevor. Um, and there's another, uh, another podcast uh, called The Pastor's Wife and A Plain Account. Uh, both of them just engage what ministry and faith looks like for people, uh, kind of from different perspectives, looking at closely at scripture, looking closely at life in ministry and in the church. And I really just encourage you to go, go check them out. All right. Peace.